You're listening to The Quad, a Killjoys podcast. My name is Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And I'm Annie. We're talking about the third episode of season two of Killjoys, Shaft. Why we will <laughs> talk about anything and everything. I knew you were going to do that, Stephanie. <laughs> Shaft. I, I don't know the theme song, but you know. Shaft. Should I say it like that? No. Can okay. you dig it? Just- While we will talk about anything and everything from the episode, there won't be any spoilers for future episodes. Let's get started with our quick reviews. I liked this episode, but find that I'm less, I don't know, enthusiastic or something about it. Uh, It's a pretty dark episode, both metaphorically and literally. So dark! Which I I think is a lot of my, my issue with it. I don't really have huge issues with it. It's just one of those, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it, it it bothered me a little bit, the fact that it was kind of dark. But but there are some pretty significant developments and revelations that further the season's mystery plot, which is always a good thing to me. And as always, I love the characters and their dynamics. You know, it's all about the teamwork, and I love it. Johnny, by the way, is a total mom friend. <laughs> huh? What do you mean? What, what did he do that was particularly yeah. mom friendly in this episode? I don't know what that phrase means. You know, the mom friend is like the group caretaker. Yeah. Oh, They're the one who's always okay. like, you know, t- call me when you get home safely, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but there's that whole moment where Dutch is like, like, Johnny, fix it. And he does. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, Johnny's such the mom friend. I don't think he wants to be, but he is. <laughs> I did like that line of light where she was like, Johnny, do an analysis. An analysis of what? I don't know, but we say it and you fix things. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did. <laughs> And I love it. Anyway, also, Potter is awesome, and I love her. How about you, Stephanie? I'm kind of the opposite, because I, I I really was not a huge fan of last week's episode, and I really appreciated that this one was such a breather, comparatively. I mean, yes, the scenes in the mind can feel a little repetitive, just because the nature of what they are. It's people walking around in the dark. But I think it really laid the foundation for some stuff that had a big emotional payoff at the end of the episode so that made it worth it to me and this episode felt like really focused on the characters and not as much about big complicated plot lines throughout so i really enjoyed it actually but i have to like say darn it lucy for interrupting dutch monk smoochies i usually love you lucy (laughs) but you had poor timing (laughs) and uh, i also remain dubious that moss would have survived that deep in the mind but i i (sighs) i I won't talk about it, because Annie apparently doesn't want me to talk about moss. No, it's just moss, lichen. Are you a mossologist, Stephanie? I wish I were. I, I am not. I actually have more of an She's interest in... She's an aspiring in- mossologist. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we'll check your word for it that moss would not have survived. But well, it wasn't really but, moss, though. But it, it, the moss was growing on the on the mossipedes. I don't know. Maybe it's just supposed to duplicate the appearance of moss, but that would just be suspicious, right? Because there shouldn't be moss that deep in a mine. Because if you're talking about like a cave, moss can grow in like the twilight zone, but that's like the dark zone that they were in and they shouldn't, it shouldn't be moss in the dark zone. Not necessarily. Haven't you seen those cave spelunking documentaries and growing water and all this stuff? And they were feeding off of people. So who knows? No, no, no. Moss doesn't. My, moss doesn't actually feed off of off of the things that it's attached to. It just attaches to them. It feeds off of sunlight okay. and water and stuff. But I'm saying <laughs> I don't know that it is moss. I think it's part of the entity that is a mossipede. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> 
I don't know. I'm giving you a hard time. I'm just saying because Johnny was guessing maybe it was an adaptation that the mossipedes had, you know, to to have the mosses like camouflage, which implies to me that maybe they tried to form a symbiotic relationship with the moss. But the moss, I feel like, would be like, nobody, no, you do not get close enough to water, which means we cannot reproduce. And we don't like but that. But water was in the mine. It drips. You know how deep water goes oh, into the earth? Oh, but you need like a pool of water for moss to, to be able to reproduce sexually. If you ever see moss near like a pool of water, it's like, oh yeah, moss sex. Like they, <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I'm really grossed out. They could only reproduce asexually away from pools of water. Anyhow. <laughs> Annie looks so done with this conversation. Moss is fascinating stuff. Did you know that they used moss for bandages during World War Two? I believe? Maybe World War I? I, I did know that. Because it's absorbent and possesses antibiotic properties. Some species do. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of the episode, Annie? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Moving on. I don't know if I'm as much of a fan of moss as Stephanie, or could possibly be. And I'm not a fan of mossipedes or creepy crawlies, so I did not like that part, even if they're CGI. But... Uh, I like this episode and how the team works together to get out of the mine with the addition of Hunky Monk, because that's always good. And I, I like more of the mystery, getting more of the overall story of how Klein and the Scarbacks and Arkin could be tied together and where the green goo comes from, which I suspected it was from the Mothspeeds. That was the implication. But that stuff to me is really fascinating. But all the character stuff I love as well, because I like seeing the hints of the past of the relationship between Hunky Monk and Dutch. But, uh, you know, all of Davin's little digs of, hey, is it take a monk to work day and everything? I'm like, come on, Dav. I mean, he's just being kind of silly. So, But that's all he had to do in this episode, Andy, was be jealous. So, you know, he had to make I the know. most of it. I guess, and show off his <laughs> glorious biceps, but... And then there's Potter. Oh, we'll get to the biceps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Potter, who's awesome and ingenious and smart, and yeah, I love her. That I'm worried about her, since we don't know who took her at the end. Yeah, let's start with that little storyline with, with Potter, because, it, you know, she, I think, like Pre has in some previous episodes, got a pretty good little storyline by herself, and, it, you know... It was just, I love, I love Potter and just her, her general way that she approaches things. And, and, cause what does Joko say about her? That she's unpredictable? I think that's really true. We've seen that throughout the series. That it's like, you're not entirely sure what she's gonna do. She, she's kind of, she's borderline reckless a lot yeah, of the time. Absolutely. But like, it's a calculated recklessness. We've seen previously, right, that she's willing She's willing to use a little bit of threat. She's willing to use a little bit of her perceived power as a member of a, you know, of, of a crushy family, especially a family who's one of the nine. And she usually has pretty good reasons for what she's doing, but her methods are always kind of like, Potter, really? Really? <laughs> Not that I really had an issue with what she's doing here because Jelko is such a jerk face, but... You know, that was pretty darn uh, not, not not a great thing she did per her Hippocratic Oath if they take such things in the quad in regards to putting the, the little thing around his heart. Smart, though. <laughs> uh, I didn't mind that. I was like, eh, well, because he's such a jerky face. But I did think that was pretty ingenious. I was like, ooh, got him. Potter always goes about her methods with kind of a very... Almost 
flippant, snarky, snarky attitude of, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. You know, just her, how she talks back to Jelko, I found very satisfying. She did try to use another method, though, because we see her contact her father. And it seemed to me, at least, that she was going to try to use the footage of Jelko shooting hills to basically affect his position of power that he has over in over old town i think that was maybe what she was going for like this guy's on hinge we need to get him out of here but her father wouldn't bite so she did try to do something slightly different that was maybe more within the realms of i don't know yeah the law (laughs) but and and then when that failed she had to go to more drastic measures that just happened to present itself because jelko told her about his heart condition so that idiot (laughs) (laughs) and i mean yeah the thing is like i can't hold it against potter just because like that guy was basically holding her hostage right exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and he was he was keeping her prisoner so i mean all bets are off right there and she didn't in fact do him permanent harm you know right he just has to find another doctor to take out the bb thing exactly (laughs) yeah Unless he gets some sort of horrible infection from having it in there. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Did she yeah. sterilize it first before putting it around his heart? I'm sure she did. <laughs> Me too. I'm just, we're making a joke. <laughs> but she uncovers those plans on Jelko's computer, his data port. Is that, I think that's what they called the little teardrop thing. Or data jack. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. What do we think of that necessarily? This idea that is it a way to control Westerlands, I guess? Probably. Yeah. Another way for the company to put their foot down and just control what they consider the rabble of the population. And who's to say they don't have plans for, you know, any community that gets out of control, whether it's on Crash or even Leith. But it seemed like maybe that was even a measure before the cities perhaps got out of control. Maybe it was to even mm-hmm. pre- prevent that from even percolating. Yeah. And I really hope that Potter uploaded all that data to Lucy. Yeah, it was a little unsatisfying to me that they didn't resolve the fact that... Because Dutch says, like, oh, I need, I would prefer to have a real doctor. Let's go get Potter. But then there's no follow-up. So we don't know how... It, the Killjoys, it seems like, don't know that she's uncommunicado yet, that she's gone. Well, because she was talking to them when the signal dropped out. Right. So that's true. That's probably how next episode's going to start, is them being like, where's Potter? She was right here. Mm -hmm. But who is it that hit her on the head? Yeah. Who who did that? I don't know. Could it have been Klein or... Hmm. But Klein isn't... Hmm. He's sealed up on some ship headed towards the lady. That we know of. Why no? I don't know. I thought the, I thought Fancy rescued him. It's true. And then well, Fancy was sitting with him, but we don't know. Never mind. I thought it was implied Fancy rescued him, and then he was part of the people who destroyed Red Seventeen and went somewhere. Who knows? There's a lot of questions. Maybe I mean I it, doubtful, but maybe somebody working for Potter's mother. They did reference her mother again. And, oh yeah. In her position of power. I mean I don't think that's likely, but putting it out there. It's not impossible. I mean, they they have established that the various families have essentially thugs <laughs> that go carry out missions for them. So it's possible. Mm-hmm. Try to think who else maybe would have taken her, at least in that way. Because I don't think 
will turn out to be somebody like Pre or somebody who you think is friendly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was my thought. There that probably I was wouldn't like, be head conking in that yeah, plan. Yeah, exactly. No. Unless it was accidental, but I don't see how it would have been. Mm, no. <laughs> that yeah. did not seem accidental. Yeah. <laughs> but as Potter was leaving Jelko, that was just a fantastic scene where she got to be all, oh, no, no, that's you. When you were under, I put your, I put the bracelet around your heart. So have fun with that. And, <laughs> and the whole, like, I used your DNA because, like, she was super into using his DNA to, for everything. And yeah, it made access. me so happy because she's like, access to his files. Mm-hmm. I'm going to unlock the bracelet. I'm going to unlock yep. the door on my way out. And then <laughs> leave the, the glove behind me. She should, probably should have taken it, though. It might have been useful later I know, on. I know. I was like, take it with you, Potter. <laughs> though I'm probably, after a while, the blood, the cells would, would like break down unless she preserved it in some way, I'm guessing. Put it in some sort of preservative. But anyway. <laughs> but that was just. Only you think of this stuff, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> but that was just so great as she's leaving, you know. Oh, I used your blood. It opens the door and drops the glove behind. <laughs> she doesn't Still need boom. it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting because she, you know, he has that that exchange with her where he says, I figured out your weakness. You won't even kill somebody that you hate. You're too much of a doctor. And she says to him something like, maybe not yet or maybe not right mm. now, implying that maybe she could kill him later on. Hmm. It's true. That is very gray line with the Hippocratic Oath and all, yeah. But then she follows it up by saying, I don't want to kill you, Jelko. You're just a symptom, and I have to treat the disease. That's a good line. Mm. It was a good line. (laughs) That was a good exit line. (laughs) Completing Potter's storyline as, like, the bad. Beep. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she got conked on the head, which kind of makes me a a little bit upset. I mean, we'll have to see how it plays out. But I really appreciated that she organized her own escape. She didn't need help from anybody else. You know, and, you know, made her way out, but then gets conked on the head and kind of turns her into a damsel in distress again. But hopefully she will be instrumental in freeing herself from whatever has now taken her. It does kind of undercut the the exit line moment. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, dang it. But she wasn't actually outside the fence, was she? When she got out? Yeah, she, she was. was she outside. was outside the fence. Because Spring Hill is oh, outside the fence. She was looking at the fence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, because I wasn't sure. I'm like, I would have kept Jelko's DNA <laughs> if she wasn't outside the fence. No, Spring Hill so. was outside the fence. So when she left Spring Hill, okay. she was still outside. So when we saw I just the wasn't fence, sure when I was looking at that special effect yeah, shot. Yeah, so. that was the fence yeah. in the background around the city, but she actually wasn't within the fence. She was outside of it. Phew. <laughs> but yes, if only Lucy and Johnny and everybody had just been a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though Lucy. She, I don't know if she was necessarily jealous of Potter, but she seemed a little upset when Johnny did not want to hear her soil analysis and re- would rather contact Potter. She Fine. was kind of put out. She's, you know, because Johnny's like, can you open the communication to Potter? And Lucy, Lucy sounds a little angry when she says, Fine. <laughs> like, she's, she's a little short with Johnny. That is the least warm we have ever heard her voice when speaking to Johnny. Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure if she was just annoyed that Johnny didn't want to hear her soil analysis or if it was because he wanted to talk to Potter or both. But I I did laugh. I think it's both. I did laugh at her. Fine. (laughs) And then later when she goes, there was an extreme stress reaction 48 seconds ago. And Johnny's like, what? Why didn't you tell me? 
And she's like, given that I just did, isn't that a rhetorical question? It's like, hello. And Lucy was also pointing out that Potter was, when she had that little moment, was like, oh, Johnny did say that? <laughs> oh, right, because she has that passive-aggressive comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm detecting signs of a psychological fixation. And I'm like, oh, jealous much, Lucy? Yes. But- Yes. Yeah, I watched- Maybe it was Lucy. Lucy sent somebody to conk Potter on the head. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> uh, it was totally the ship. <laughs> I did watch the little video segment that Sci-Fi puts up online after each episode, and, and part of it was an interview with Sarah Power, who plays Potter. And she was talking about how, oh, I think I think Potter and Johnny have this really close bond because of... Johnny helping her with her Jack addiction back in episode, back in season one, is like, hmm, yeah, they're just really close and have a special bond, huh, Sarah? Hmm. She seemed rather <laughs> pleased with Johnny, like, saying what he said about, I'm going to tell Potter I'm going to come get her. Like, I think she's got a little bit of a crush. Yep. Much to Lucy's annoyance. <laughs> Sarah or or Potter? Oh, Sarah. Uh, Potter. No, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah might have a crush on Aaron Ashmore. I don't know, but he's married. So. <laughs> I, I meant on Johnny. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sarah might have a crush on Johnny, too. It's true. But I meant I meant Potter. Sounds like she has a little bit of a crush on him. Oh, I think so, too. Oh, yeah. Again, I mean, Lucy's not wrong in her passive-aggressive analysis. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> She's monitoring all those vital signs going, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> Also in that, I don't remember if it's that one. No, I think it was that interview with Sarah Power, because I had questions as I was watching the episode. Now, you know, because she had the addiction, I was like, is that something that's still in play? Because it seemed like it wasn't in watching the episodes, but she did mention that Johnny helped her kick the addiction. So I guess, I guess that's over with now, because I was wondering about that the past couple episodes. Like, is that going to be a problem? But apparently not. Yeah, I I was surprised by her comment in the interview about her jack addic- about Potter's jack addiction too. I thought, oh, I didn't realize that she had kicked it. Okay, good to know. Yeah, I think that was a really fleeting, almost throwaway line. But yeah, I'm remembering it now. Well, let's move on to the main storyline with the mosapedes. They're, I mean, yeah. okay, there are these mosapedes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're gross. <laughs> Okay, so are these mosquitoes? So you're so offhand about it. Matter that of do, fact, that do look like angry vaginas. It is true. Because <laughs> it takes them a while to get to the mosquitoes, right? They're following Lena Rossler around, and but the mosquitoes were important because they seem to have the same properties as the level sixes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that where the green goo comes from? Well, we don't know. That's that's the question. Like, either the green goo comes from the mosapedes, or perhaps the mosapedes are also affected by the green goo. But if that's the case, why do they repel from Davin? Because the green goo repelled from Davin, if yeah, you recall. Like, yeah, so that's the follow-up question to why was Davin immune to the green goo? I mean, the, the mosapedes don't like him, so why is that? I, it, it's a continuation of what we saw in the premiere, but we still don't have a firm answer. We just have further proof that there's something that is not compatible between Davin and the green goo. Mm-hmm. But this does answer a question I had before, because we were wondering what it was that made Davin immune, and we wondered if it was the same 
nanites or whatever that had affected Dutch, but Dutch is not immune from the mossipedes. So it seems like it's something else. Yep. Mm -hmm. Good point. Also, to go back to, because again, like I didn't dislike this episode. I just have slightly mixed feelings about it. But I feel like this is one of those that sort of, I didn't immediately love it, but I like it the more I watched it and the more I let things sink in. And Mm. I noticed in our notes, like there's no mention of Tanya or Paolo or Dina. (laughs) Like basically that storyline is sort of, it's a means to an end because it's, it's all about the mossipedes. It's not really about the people they're actually sent there to find. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, my question about the mossipedes is why didn't we see Dutch with on, with mossipedes on her if she got affected by them or we didn't see her being We saw one bite her. Bitten. Yeah, it, oh, it was okay. when she was reaching down to try to save Tanya when she fell into the hole. And then she uh, said, "Ow." Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was why. A mossipede got her. But if the mossipedes I do think it's unclear what the mossipedes signify in terms of level 6 because Klein canceled the evac request that the killjoys who went there on the level two warrant he canceled that request so is it because the mossipedes are the source of the green goo is it because the mossipedes are a byproduct of whatever experiment or whatever they did to develop the green goo what is the significance i i like the idea that the mossipedes might be the source of the green goo though that was mm-hmm. my impression. Well, but it's just there could be something else that happened that infected the mossipedes and then the mossipedes flourished. Right. Mm. And therefore they had to shut down the mine to prevent exposure to the mossipedes. Though either way, it feels like they should, at level six, I mean, should have way more security on that mine, right? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. That's yes. true. Unless they're counting on the mossipedes to be their own security. Well, that's a pretty Fair. good security deterrent, considering how many skeletons are down there and people running around hallucinating. Right. I mean, as far as we know, the only people who have escaped there alive are our team in this yeah. episode. Right. So. Be- and that was mainly because they had Davin, yeah, who is an anomaly. Who is mossipede repellent. <laughs> but but I did think it was interesting that the mossipedes, that the side effect is they, people start hallucinating. And how Dutch hallucinates Klein and how that was the opening of the episode. I thought that was mm, yeah. quite a shocking opening when he cuts her open and all the green goos coming out. Yeah, once they figured out that the mossipedes caused hallucinations, I realized like, oh, the beginning must be an, an hallucination. But even though mm. I realized that, there was that was such a good scene where Dutch is confronting first Klein and then, like, the evil version of herself, it, that it didn't matter oh, yeah. that I had, like, figured out the trick, because that was just such a wonderful scene, I thought. I mean, at the beginning of the episode, you're kind of like, this is a dream or something, right? Yeah, yeah. But then it can't be Klein in the mind, because there's no way his clothes could remain that pretty oh, running around in the dark. Klein and his beautiful, <laughs> but, beautiful I mean, clothes. have you seen Klein wherever he is? He always looks like that regardless of where he is. <laughs> that's like, true. That's just... <laughs> I don't know. They level sixed his clothes, too. (laughs) I don't know what it is about Rob Stewart, but he just looks so gorgeous in whatever they put him in. I mean, I know it's the wardrobe, too, but he just always looks so beautiful and put together. and Put together, yeah. yeah. He's Mm -hmm. gorgeous, gorgeous wardrobe. But let's talk about that confrontation between Dutch and fake Klein and Dutch and then evil Dutch. That was super, super interesting to me. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like I need to watch it another half dozen times to 
process it properly. I know. I've watched that that one scene three times, and I still find new things every time I watch it. And I'm sure whatever we come up with now is going to change by the end of the season. I know. I know. But the big thing that stuck out to me when she's talking to Evil Dutch is she is saying, I escaped from Klein. We escaped from Klein. She corrects I Mm -hmm. to we. What does that mean? (laughs) So is that second Dutch really a real entity or a hallucination? Or because we saw the two Duchess in the mirror. Mm Mm-hmm. And Wild Wild Westerly, so which really creeped me out the first time I saw it. I was like, oh Yeah, we had the we had the two Duchess in the mirror. We had Davin seeing Dutch on Arkin in that memory that he shared. So there's definitely hints prior to this of a like a Dutch duality. But it is a real Dutch? Is it a fake Dutch? What exactly does it mean? If it's a fake Dutch, can I have her? <laughs> because the way that <laughs> She looked good. I know that last shot when Dutch looks back at hallucinogen Dutch in the mine. God, she is dressed so she just looks great. I she love that costume. She looks fantastic, and and I love the way they did her hair. I love how much they yes. they like play with Hannah John Coleman's hair. Like a lot of people, it seems like the hair is the exact same way every episode. I love how much they will change her hair from episode to episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because she's the only one they can do it with because everybody else's hair is so short. Because the guys have short hair. <laughs> well, it's not like you can do a lot. She has long hair. That's true. And, That's I'm, true. I, and yeah, but I mean, Pre has no hair. <laughs> yeah, but they can still change they, his makeup and I know, make him they, look fabulous. They, they and they do. His, they do. They do. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I agree, Andy. I, I thought Evil Dutch was kind of attractive. <laughs> that, just that long shot of her. <laughs> but you notice we're, we're back to the shirt with like the cleavage window. <laughs> That's true. There was a cleavage window. I mean, it looks good on her. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just, every time I see it, I'm like, but why is there a cleavage window? <laughs> I know. It was a very strange Stuff shirt. Stuff kind of in like there. Half, like, string Snacks of for later, Chris. and a weird cleavage window. When I saw the cleavage window in promo shots, I'm all, eh, I don't know about that cleavage window shirt. It looks very strange. But it looks good on her, but very strange. I'm just worried about mossipedes going down there. Is it really what it is? <laughs> <laughs> Must safeguard yourself. <laughs> oh no, a mosquito got in my cleavage. <laughs> but in regards to the the I versus we comment, I, my first thought was that the evil Dutch that we are seeing in the in the mine shaft, the the evil Dutch that maybe she's referring to when she left Klein, perhaps is it something similar to Helena's Pupak over on Orphan Black, like this entity. That was born out of a traumatic situation that then she can mm. talk to and encourage her to do difficult things. You know, is, hmm. is that perhaps what Evil Dutch was? Or is she, in fact, a separate entity? I don't know. Hmm. Kind of like a manifestation of a different side of our consciousness? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Could be. Because that is a, a documented response to stress in a lot of people who have gone through trauma and abuse is creating like a different version of themselves that they can talk to or can motivate them to do things that they are afraid to do things like that interesting i've been talking to myself since i was 11 though but <laughs> do you, you know, see another version me. of yourself do you see like a non-geeky annie that appears and it's like <laughs> i see a skinnier version of me that looks more attractive yeah <laughs> all annies are geeky though stephanie oh, i know okay yes sorry. they are doesn't matter <laughs> no but i i i'm inclined to think that maybe in this episode, it was more of a, a hallucination, but maybe there is like a, 
I don't know if there is like a clone Dutch or something, which was your guess, Chris, from the first episode. I mean, I don't know. It's just one of those having to explain this idea that if that memory is that old, which I mean, is up for debate, but based on everything we've heard from Alvis, I'm inclined to assume that that's the case. Because we've we've heard basically the same story from Alvis. He hasn't altered what he's said. He's added to it, but he hasn't changed anything. Know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was talking about how no Scarbacks have been on Arkin for 200 years, and then more information about why they were there, etc. But not anything about being there more recently. So I, I don't know. Like, I just, I can't explain <laughs> what's going on at all. We We don't have enough information yet. Or Dutch could be older than what she looks and could have been, what if she was like the first level six and has been around for 200 years? Or, But it feels like we have confirmation in this episode that she isn't at level six because she bleeds red. That's what Alvis mm-hmm. uses to talk her down from when she's so upset is showing her her blood and saying, look, you're not like him. Can you see this? So it feels mm, like that's true. Dutch is not a level six, in which case, why is she showing up in that memory that presumably is 200 years old or something. As you said, not enough information. Yeah, so. exactly. Because they're doing the, the slow rollout over the season, which but I, is fine. But I love the slow rollout because the show does it so well. It drives us crazy. It's but not driving me crazy, but I, you know, it's causing me to think too much about yeah. it. I think, the, I think the difference is last season we didn't realize that they were giving us all these little elements that then became important at the end, but this season we do. So it's more frustrating <laughs> because we're like, no, what does that mean? It's it's like a Restless on Buffy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's an episode where there's all sorts of symbolic stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and like there's one thing in there that's not actually representative of anything. Yes. Was it the cheese man? Yes, it, it was is the, the cheese, cheese man. man. You, I remember that reference. So, yeah. And speaking of Buffy, I did like when Davin came upon the really deep hole in the <laughs> mine. He said, it's just the hell mouth. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Buffy reference. <laughs> Davin's a Buffy fan, apparently. I like it. I like it, Davin. Yeah, I'm having mixed feelings about Davin and his, his jealousy toward Alvis because I think it's realistic. Mm-hmm. But I don't want them to dwell on it too much, just because that's not particularly interesting. But I actually did like the scenes between Dutch and Davin when they were in the Ramalama Ding Dong, and the scene between him and Alvis later in the episode. Because I, I, I liked I liked that line that he had where he said, oh, responsibility, that's what we're feeling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did think they put too fine a point on it throughout the episode, like... What is this? Like, bring a monk to work day? And mm. all the little digs he kept mentioning. But that's why I was glad there was that scene between Elvis and Davin at the end where they did kind of make up or come to terms or, you know, Davin didn't seem to be uh, dwelling on it so much anymore that Hunky Monk is on the ship. Well, and I liked that when they both were heading toward Dutch's room at that point, mm-hmm. that Davin stepped aside mm-hmm. and wa- and walked away. That is... That is something we don't always see when there's these types of love triangles. There's often, especially from kind of the type of characters that Davin is, a very, you know, rough and tumble, er, army, super masculine guy. There's often Alpha a lot male of... male kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. There's there's often a lot of, of, you know, resistance to ceding territory. You know, they practically 
pee on things. But <laughs> but so it was nice to see Davin step aside and I think recognize like, okay, you know, I don't I don't have a place here right now that Dutch is not interested. Well, yeah, he has to realize that. And I'm glad that he did that. She's, you know, not in that place to be with him anymore. But see, that's that's the thing I like about Davin, right? I mean, this is why, especially for being seemingly that type of character, he's, to me, much more compelling and much more likable than that type of character, because he seems like he's going to do that kind of thing, but he's really more mature about it yeah. than, mm-hmm. than your typical that character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has his moments where he can't hold it in. I do agree with you, though, that, you know, it's one of those things, his reacting this way is realistic, but it is, like, it's not attractive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just kind of like, okay, not, we get it, Davin. Time to time to put an end to it. But yeah. here's hoping, right? Because I think, I think I might be a, a, a shipper of Dutch and, and Hunky Monk. I kind of like them together. Really? Yeah. I didn't get that impression. <laughs> I think I think I might. I didn't think I had particularly strong feelings, but I, I rather liked their moments together in this episode. They were very sweet this episode, I thought. Yeah, because they're really believable and, yeah, genuine. And I just like that moment where she's touching his back and reading the scripture. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like Hunky Monk, too. And he has his shirt off and he's got his... Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, there was shirtlessness, you guys. I just kept thinking of Stephanie, too. Amal. I bet she likes this. And I bet she was really mad when Lucy interrupted them. But, you know, I mean... I was upset. Lucy's a... You know, if she's jealous of Potter, then maybe she's just like, I do not want my girl going with Hunky Monk. Lucy's like, if I'm not getting any, nobody's getting any. I know. Stop it, humans. (laughs) Nobody gives me any love. Nobody wants to read my soil sample analysis. (laughs) But I I thought it was pointed that in the the caverns, in in the mine, where Johnny tried to reason with Dutch. And usually he's successful in such things. For some reason this time he wasn't. And it took Alvis knowing... I'm, I'm hesitating to call him Hunky Monk. He's still a monk, right? I can call him Hunky Monk. Yes, he's a, he's a monk. Okay. Because yeah. he was doubtful at the beginning of this episode. But I feel like he's still a monk. So... I know. do feel like his faith was maybe reaffirmed by the end of the episode. I got that impression, too. So they, you know, Johnny wasn't able to calm down Dutch immediately, and it was Hunky Monk who really talked her down by... I think reinforcing the idea that she was worrying about herself, that she's not a good person, you know, because that, that was the whole conversation between her dark self and herself was this idea that she is who Klein made her. And she's, in fact, still a bad person. She still kills people. But it seemed to me that Hunky Monk really affirmed this idea that she cares about other people because his threat was, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to die unless you come with me. And you're not going to let that happen. So... Get yourself together, and we're going to go and get out of here. And it's true. He's right. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that is like the through line of everything we see with Dutch. Dutch is very compassionate towards other people. And, you know, again, refreshing. And protective. Mm-hmm. I am really intrigued by what Alvis found with the monk and what that means. Although, ew, for writing something on his own skin. Well. Hunky Monk had a bunch of stuff written on his own skin. It seems to be a thing. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Just not into pain as much as the monks are. But 
I mean, they're literally called Scarbacks. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But Speaking of, given that we saw Hunky Muck being like levitated by some hooks in his pectoral muscles last season, he should have had more scarring mm-hmm. up there. I'm just saying. But anyway. You're right. I think they did forget about that. Or maybe maybe Potter healed him after he did that? <laughs> maybe. Because we've seen mm-hmm. that they can do that. Yeah. Though true. it seems like the, the Scarbacks are sort of against that kind of thing, but... No. Yeah, because the whole anyway. point is the pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he was talking about, you know, because he helped Johnny out in the, the black rain. Anyway, we're off topic. <laughs> this episode is the first time that we've heard this prayer or this kind of monk lore about the whole 12 monks went to Arkin to face the devil, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then we get the follow up at the end of this episode where Alvin. Al- See, I can't say his name. <laughs> Think of Alvis. Alvis. Instead of Alvin. Call, I either call him Aldis, as in Aldis Leakey, or I call him Alvin. <laughs> I don't know Isn't why. Alvin the chipmunk. <laughs> just just mix in some Elvis in there uh, and, and see if that helps. I'm sorry, Hunky Monk, that I can't get your name right. So <laughs> the monk that Hunky Monk finds has the the piece of skin that says something about, you know, the one came back from from wherever, from Arkin, I guess. So what exactly does that mean? And what are the implications of that? Because it sounds like Hunky Monk's going to follow up on it, but I'm curious if there'll actually be anything for him to find, given that he didn't know about that part of the prayer. Right. I guess the only thing that might be helpful is if he finds out why they went. Yeah, that's true. Because who or what is the devil, right? Mm-hmm. And was it implied that's what Davin was seeing at the beginning of the season in his memory was this battle between the devil and or at least, all the hunky monks? Or, <laughs> or at least the <laughs> incident the when monks. the monks went to Arkin. I think that's what it's yeah. implied that he saw, yeah. Right. Because, I mean, there it could be possible that they said they were going to fight the devil, but they had some other motivation. I mean, I don't know. This is just me throwing stuff out there. Mm-hmm. But if it is to fight the devil, like, again, who or what is the devil? Is the devil Klein? Maybe. Is the devil not Dutch? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just calling it not Dutch it now. The, oh, 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 not the, Dutch. Oh, the, oh, oh, the Dutch in the, in the vision uh, yeah, okay. or the memory. Yes. Yes. Okay. What you've been calling evil Dutch. Okay. I'm just going to call it not Dutch. I think I called it evil Dutch because maybe she called her evil Dutch in some point. I think, I think Hannah John Common referred to Dutch as that Dutch as evil Dutch in an interview or something. So that's why I was using that. I mean, that also works. I'm just, (laughs) I refuse to believe it's Dutch apparently is what I'm saying. Apparently. Apparently. I mean, especially if it was 200 years ago. mm Mm-hmm. How does that work? (laughs) Dutch is, I don't know, maybe Dutch is some kind of anomaly like Davin, where she's not level six, but she's long lived. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But what does that have to do with the battle on Arkin and the trees and the tree they found underground and the temple and that part of the Scarbacks religion? I'm really fascinated by that. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get an answer about why trees are important in the Scarbacks religion, because, you know, they could just easily say they are this, you know, this is the religion of the quad. They are. The fact that they just made a point of a up of the Scarbacks dropping trees during that battle that Davin saw pointed out something was significant Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. And then they find this temple underground. 
But I always think, I think I said this in a previous podcast, that the trees are important since look at where they're living in Westerly in this wasteland. Right. You know, there's literally no green, so they would be worshipped, I guess. I mean, go back to episode, I want to say it's episode 10 of last season, you know, where they go meet the Rat King and Johnny gives the prayer. Like, listen to the Mm -hmm. prayer because it is about seeds traveling a, a distance and and they grew and the roots grew that whole thing like moss and they did mention that, <laughs> that the moss would grow because the spores would travel that far in the mine when you're talking about seeds so it is conceivable that the moss grows that far in the mine stephanie <sighs> but there's not light they need light for photosynthesis so they can create there's their own light food. from the crystals who maybe they're photosynthesis crystals i totally said that wrong <laughs> Anyway, we're making up stuff as we go along. It's anyway, it's a sci-fi universe. We I got mean, some the feedback. moss is mobile. Maybe it goes up to the top of the mine. The mossipedes seem to like the dark, though. But anyway, you're making assumptions. Anyway, we got some feedback from Fred. Fred says that he thinks the monks and level six will have some kind of connection. Not that they're cooperating, but that they use the same kind of natural or divine power in the universe. This power can be misused, and then it is called the devil by the Scarback monks. It's like the Force in Star Wars, which can be used for good or bad. So there's, like, mossipedes on the dark side, then? They did seem pretty unfriendly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anytime they bite, you know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was surprising to me to hear Alvis use such a judeo-christian construct of the devil in in the religion just because it seems like they'd really seem to stay away from that sort of thing previously it was surprising to hear him refer to something called the devil right it is all about redemption and and sacrifice and nature again because the trees praise the trees i think maybe the writers just put in a more familiar to for lack of a better term judeo-christian term of the devil Instead of having to, because this is a world with a lot of world building already, they, instead of having to explain a new term that's totally made up, they just wanted to use something to substitute in this case. And who knows how devil is spelled the way they're saying it. <laughs> that's true. It has D- 12 silent Y-V-I-L Ks. Y-V-I-L or something, yeah. There are a couple of H's in there. As, as Michelle Lovretta likes to say, yeah, we're totally a-holes when it comes to spelling. <laughs> There's a Y instead of an I. I'm mm-hmm. just saying. You're right. You're right. There's an Does apostrophe in there. Does on yeah. your spell yep. check. Yep. You should see our notes, Michelle Loretta. All squiggly red lines everywhere. <laughs> I love you, Michelle. <laughs> but, it was really in- <laughs> but it was really interesting to see how this episode is tying even closer together the history of Level 6 and the Scarbacks. Yes. I have so many questions now. I had them before, but I have more now. Such as? Because what does it mean? (laughs) I mean, are they in opposition? Are the level sixes some manifestation of the devil? I'm... (sighs) I don't know. That's interesting. Maybe they're a manifestation of the devil, according to the Scarbacks, because it's kind of, you know, when you think about beings that can heal and essentially not be killed, or they're very difficult to kill, it's kind of against the natural world and the trees and being at one with nature that everything seems like the Scarbacks seem to be against, you know? Well, because here's here's a question I had, too. Do we think that there's significance in 
bleeding being part of the Scarback faith. I mean, now that we know that there's some connection between them and level sixes, or at least such as the indication of the flashback and also this, this whole episode. <laughs> yeah, I always thought there was. That's a good question because, you know, especially this season, they've been hitting on the point that, you know, level sixes bleed green, people who are normal bleed red. So perhaps... Or that they don't bleed the level sixes. Well, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but... And maybe what you're suggesting is that potentially the whole significance of bleeding in the Scarback Faith might have come from first a ability to distinguish themselves maybe from level sixes. Like, oh, look, mm -hmm. I bleed, this person doesn't, therefore they are the enemy or what have you, or they are in opposition to us. Well, I mean, now that we've seen significance of showing people that they bleed, that that's, you know, some indication that they're still themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like maybe that's how that originated i don't know mm. sorry i i made the reference to bleeding bleeding green because of the vision that dutch saw at the no i understood episode. but then i remember like oh yeah we actually don't see the level sixes bleed do we i don't think so no but i agree with you because i think scarbacks would be if they cut themselves and they bleed it would also be a way to prove that they're more pure or more human than hmm. what these level sixes have turned themselves into you well, know, that's what I'm saying. Kind of, like, the yeah. fact that this season we've seen people repeatedly prove their that they're still themselves by, by mm -hmm. showing that they're bleeding. Like, do we think that's how that tradition, the Scarback tradition of the significance of their blood, do we think that's how that started? Maybe part of it. Hmm. I like that idea. That's how it started. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a good theory. Mm -hmm. Throwing it out there. So now that I've had my moment of, like, thoughtful... Deep thoughtfulness. <laughs> let's move on to talking about how good everyone's biceps look in the mind lighting. <laughs> See, I didn't think it was particularly dark. Maybe just the last couple seasons of Lost Girl, I've gotten used to it. But <laughs> No, it was not nowhere near as dark as Lost Girl, this yeah. past episode of Killjoys. And it <laughs> highlighting all the sweat on everybody's biceps and... You know, maybe and, it's less that it's that it's dark and more that it's not colorful as as you've been commenting on Stephanie. That's fair. That's, yeah, that's true. Because I'm used to like really bright and like lens flares and yeah, color. True, true. <laughs> and there wasn't so much of that this episode, and it made yeah. me kind of sad. But it's true. Everybody's but biceps were... looked great. <laughs> <laughs> it's hotter know, than like... hell's. Everybody strip. Yay. I I did I was pretty happy when they when Dutch took off her jacket because she's wearing a really mm -hmm. attractive shirt underneath. <laughs> but I, I I did like uh, speaking of wardrobe I I liked the line that Dutch had about how the sexy jackets was it that came with being a killjoy. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that's a good line. Life expectancy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was I also I liked Alva's passive aggressively borrowing Dutch's shirt or excuse me. Dutch's shirt. <laughs> Dutch's shirt. No, that would have fit way differently, I think. He also you needed a place to... You just want to see Alvis's man cleavage window. Stephanie would have appreciated that. He also that. needed a place to store his snacks. <laughs> Sorry, when Alvis was borrowing Davin's shirt... I don't know why I did air quotes, but I did. <laughs> I, d I air quoted Davin. It was actually Davin. He was I, I should have air quoted the borrowing. He borrowed... Devin shirt. It, it was surprisingly a long sleeve shirt. I wouldn't have guessed Devin owned one. 
<laughs> it's just the one, which is why he wasn't entirely sure it was his. <laughs> yeah. He he doesn't he forgot he owned it because normally he's not wearing a shirt or he's wearing short sleeved, but it's the one at the bottom of his laundry pile that he forgot. Ex- yes, exactly. Or at the back but of his closet cold or something. But it gets in space sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He bought it thinking, this might come in handy someday, but it just never has. <laughs> I did have to make the joke on, on Twitter that uh, realistically, Davin and Alvis could share a wardrobe, or at least a wardrobe of shirts, because they just, they wear them so rarely. Yeah, yeah, it's One true. One shirt every two weeks. <laughs> It's your turn to wear the shirt, buddy. Okay. <laughs> It'd be difficult, though, given how, how Davin's not too thrilled with, with Hunky Muck at the moment. It might be a little difficult for them to share a wardrobe, but I think practically it does make sense. Yeah. I mean, Elvis, as long as he's got his little cape thing, he's he's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who needs shirts? <laughs> well, I did like that line where you have the uh, Dutch monk chip whatever you're gonna call him the <laughs> when she dutch says to hunky monk this is the first time i've seen you out of your robes or something and he goes he gives her well, a not look the first time yeah yeah well not yeah. the first time <laughs> and i'm all yeah <laughs> in case it wasn't clear before <laughs> mm-hmm. they used to date <laughs> and there was yeah, nudity date. involved <laughs> <laughs> oh so scandalous <laughs> Well, I guess the last thing to talk about is one of the, I think it's the final scene, might be the second final scene between Dutch oh, it's and- the final scene. Okay. Between Dutch and Turin, where she goes and tracks him down. And it, I like that there was follow-up in this episode about the information he had given them in episode two, because I was skeptical, but Lucy confirmed that Red 17 base was destroyed, and she also mentions that there was a- Data transmission in microwave form, which just makes me think of like little little microwaves with like popcorn setting, you know, being like projected into space. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so there was this data transmission. Same before. microwaves, different purpose. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> it's like we're gonna send you this data plus a nice nice bucket of salted and buttered, you know. <laughs> Free popcorn with your data. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to reheat the snacks from Dutch's cleavage window. (laughs) (laughs) And send them along with your data. Anyway, so... Bring it back around. (laughs) Lucy found evidence of this data transmission. And I liked that Dutch went and, and confronted Turn about it and basically said... We're doing things my way. You figure out where this data transmission went. Give me a warrant, and I'm going to go figure this stuff out. Because it was really nice to see sort of a a return to old Dutch by the end of the episode. Yeah, I found it a very, I will live the life I choose, lost girl type moment. I was like, yeah, go Dutch. It was a very satisfying cap on the conflict that she'd experienced throughout the episode. Very satisfying. Yeah, I took that line that she said to Hunky Monk at the end, I'm a weapon, I might as well use it, as kind of like her self-motivational speech type thing, instead of being discouraged of, oh, I'm a weapon, I, I have no control over my life. Yeah, I like that. She's, she is now pointing herself at things rather than letting yeah. others point her. <laughs> that sounded really dirty. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> pointing herself at things. <laughs> You know what I mean. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Owning it. Dutch is owning it. <laughs> I was going with the met- weapon metaphor, you know, like you point a gun at things. No, I got it. Okay. I know. It just, it just didn't work, Stephanie. <laughs> I got I'm... it. It was just funny in a way I'm not sure it was supposed to be. <laughs> Dutch is like a dog, indicating which direction the fox has gone. <laughs> <laughs> So we got an email from Kate, who had a couple of questions. She sent it after episode two, but I think they still are good questions to ask, even at this point. Kate asks, could the lady be Dutch's mom? We spend a lot of time speculating on her father, but given the show's focus on strong female characters, maybe we should be asking who her mother is instead. Klein has said that he was sent to Dutch, and the lady appears to be above him in rank. I like this theory, but Klein does specifically say that Dutch's father is the one who sent him. So I don't know. It doesn't mean that that's not the case, but. I, I like the theory though, because maybe if Dutch's mother is the lady, that would suggest she has a connection to level six. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that might explain Davin's vision. Maybe the, the Dutch that he saw in that vision was actually her mother, perhaps. You think they're doing, like, an alias kind of thing with Irina Derevko? Yes! If I had watched Alias, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Now, now I, you just get me more confused, because I'm thinking about all the twisty-turny alias threads, and I'm like, oh. There was a lot of that. But remember, there was, yeah. there was a prophecy involving somebody who looked like yep. Sydney, and they thought it was Sydney, and then they thought, maybe it's not Sydney. <laughs> oh. Maybe it's Sydney's mother. Because yeah, Sydney's God. like, you know who else looked like this? My, My mother! <laughs> I do like this theory. I have had thoughts about Dutch's mother because we we know that Dutch grew up away from her parents and that, you know, it, it leads to some questions about her, her parents. Uh, but I think we focus so far so much on her father because there's been all these hints about maybe it's Clyde, hint, 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 and, right. and, and et cetera. Uh, but I do like this idea. I don't know how, I, I don't know if it's true, but I, I do like this idea. Right. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. They haven't mentioned Dutch's mother, but they have mentioned her father a number of times, but that doesn't preclude that from being true, that the, you know, maybe her mother is the lady. Who knows? I'm looking forward to finding out. Mm -hmm. Kate also had a question about the nanites from A Glitch in the System. She asks, do we know why the program focused its questioning so heavily on Red 17? It doesn't make sense for Level 6 to focus interrogation on its own program. And then she suggests maybe one of the nine families or another faction within the rack were involved with the nanites. Yeah, that ship very pointedly was not affiliated with anybody in any... I mean, clearly they are affiliated with anybody, but there was no indication of its affiliation is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be a rogue offshoot of the company or something. I don't know. I always, I just think the company are behind the nanites somehow. Like and that could to weaponize be, it. but they did, there was a whole point of Dutch using, like, the default company code, and it triggered mm-hmm. some alarm on it. And Yeah, but who else has the resources to put out an unmarked military ship and fund all of that? Well, so. but do we know that this ship is from the Quad? Hmm. Oh, it's true. Because there's Outside the rest the of the J out there. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to the show exploring more outside the Quad and even outside the J. Because I think it's a bigger universe that they've hinted at. 
I, I think her idea about one of the nine families or another faction within the rack are good possibilities. Because if you had people in the rack becoming suspicious of the so-called level sixes or, you know, this this red 17 thing, I should say, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's a good possibility. If one of the nine families has more connection, perhaps, with the level six program than the others, I think that's also a good possibility. So I like these ideas, but I, I also like the idea that maybe it could have been from outside of the, the quad entirely. Right. There does seem to be a fair amount of compartmentalization yeah. within the rack, since we know that, you know, Turin didn't know until he did mm-hmm. <laughs> about Red 17 and the level sixes and... Yeah, it seems like the majority of the rack had no idea that the level sixes were even a thing that was happening. It's true. Beyond rumors, I mean. So yeah, there are, there are many possible answers to this. And I hope we do get an answer. I don't want it to be unresolved, but I mean, it'd be okay if it was. But I do hope we get an answer about where the ship came from. Yeah, it's not super crucial to find out, but I feel like they've given us, given us enough answers about other things that... I, I feel like it's likely that we'll find out something, at least, eventually. Well, this show is really good about picking up threads and putting out a lot of mysteries and coming back and answering them, even if it's in a line or two. You mm-hmm. know, it's really good about that. So that's what I like about the show. But we do know that there are a lot of factions at play yeah, with the, the goings-on of the quad and beyond, apparently. So. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode of Killjoys. You can send them to us at killjoys at askgenretv.com. We love getting voice messages, which you can send to us in a couple of ways. Record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us. Or call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at Killjoys Podcast. We often live tweet during both the East and West Coast airings of Killjoys in the U.S. and Canada. The Quad is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. To find our other podcasts about Orphan Black and Lost Girl and some other shows, visit our website, askgenretv.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the Quad. takes a while to get to the Mossipedes, right? They're walking around the mine and they're following mm-hmm. Tanya, who, when I first saw her from far away, I had a moment where I was like, is that Amy Acker? But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Lena Rossler who played Kiara on Lost Girl. Oh my gosh, that was Lena Rossler? Yes. I did not even oh. recognize her. Goodness. I didn't either, but somebody mentioned serious? it on Twitter. And I was like, That's oh, f- I see I'm, it now. I'm... I'm going to have to go back and look. What? Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> I'm going to Google this. It's not on the episode's IMDb page because nobody has updated it properly. But if mm-hmm. you go to IMDb and look up Lena Rossler, it's on her page. Because oh, I already it checked is. it, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> you are doubtful. I guess she does look a bit like Amy Acker in that picture. Okay. I- it never occurred to me the resemblance, I guess, because she was blonde on... Lost Girl, but okay. I mean, see, this I is did. what I was talking about, like the literal darkness of the episode. <laughs> well, it's so dark, you can't quite tell that it's her. And her face was all smudged with dirt, so that probably added to right, it as right. well. Different hair color, right. smudgy face. Okay. Different accents. <laughs> <laughs>
It's been a few years. But okay, so Lena Lossler, <laughs> Lena Rossler, I said her name wrong. I've Lena Rossler. Yeah. She <laughs> it kind of sounded like you said Lena Lost Girl. <laughs> I know. I think I did. 